0: Welcome to the Exponential Podcast. My name is Peyton Jones and as Exponential's content director, I'll be your guide to the curation of the world's largest multiplication library of resources and training. We currently have four shows running Monday through Thursday, each with a different thrust towards accelerating multiplication. On Monday, join us for Frontlines, tackling current issues facing pastors and planners. On Tuesday, tune in for Biblically Speaking, theological foundations for transformative race conversations. On Wednesdays, Ralph Moorehead's Practical Multiplication, A Pastor's Guide to Accelerating Multiplication, and lastly, Candid Conversations is on Thursday, Unpacking Definitions of Diversity. Be sure to catch them all as they will serve as equipping companions on your discipleship journey towards multiplication. Today, join me and Daniel Yang on Frontlines. The Frontlines program seeks to encourage and equip pastors and planners to better understand and navigate the current and future trends in church ministry. Each episode invites thought leaders and advanced practitioners in ministry to inform and inspire pastors and planners as they continue what they do on the field.
1: Hey, folks. Good morning. Good afternoon from wherever you are. Welcome to Frontlines, our podcast and webinar that we host weekly. Um, hey, Peyton. I'm really excited to, to be together again today because uh, you know, I mean, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about. What it means to be in the trenches as a church planner, specifically right in the midst of the pandemic, and so I know that's a big theme and a big topic. Uh, you know, something that you and I have not been able to do over the last couple of weeks is really start the very beginning of our podcast talking about some of our most personal moments. And so, uh, before the podcast is over, let's let's start out by asking our guest today. Nice. Worse preaching experience <laughs> that he's ever had. So before oh, I, I introduce one. Ed, I, I just want to want to see Joe, your worst preaching experience. But before we get to Ed, um, I want to talk about uh, really what our podcast is about today, because for many of you, you're right in the midst of uh, transitioning some of your churches to meet in person. And so it's the fall and you're getting your small groups underway. You're trying to figure out if you're doing BBS or whatever, uh, not VBS, but for Awanas, whatever it is that you're working on. But we also want to take this conversation and really focus it around the mission of the church and how do you move forward in mission instead of going backward in the midst of the COVID uh, pandemic. And so we're really excited to have with us Dr. Ed Stetzer. Uh, He is the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. He's also the executive director and co-founder of the Senn Institute, which I have the privilege of being the director of. And so, Ed, we're really excited to have you on. Now, typically you and I are tag teaming and we're doing a podcast. yes and we're uh uh, we're interviewing other people but really excited to today for peyton and i to host you on Front Lines. And so- uh, This is we, the only way I can get Ed
0: Setzer to go on a podcast with me. With Let, let's yeah, just be perfect. real. Let's, let's talk about the elephant I, in the room.
2: I love to elevate my team. And so thus, <laughs> having Daniel Yang on is amazing. I just appreciate the fact that, is that the Millennium Falcon? I mean, what room are you in there? That, you know, I'm on the Death Star today. Is that the Death Star itself? I've been it in the hangar with
0: the Millennium Falcon on a few episodes. Uh, I've been in the back cave. It, it, it's I not pretty. This is- faith.
2: Disturbing. Yes. So, yes. This is this is what it looks like. Otherwise, I mean, that's the actual room. Yeah, it's the how office not stack, yet developed. How do you stack books like that? It's like Jenga of the book stacking in the background. Very impressive, actually. Very it's not bad, is it? And those those piles mean something Each now, I need them. to get a cool backdrop like that. Let me see if I can put a cool <laughs> backdrop on Monday while we're doing this. all right it's Millennium all Falcon right. for you, Ed. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's the Millennium Falcon. I've really not kept up on my Star Trek nerddom, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> that you have the action figures. So I'm
0: going to embrace that. I do. We're I not do allowed to here. talk about it on this podcast, All right. All right. but that's yes.
1: Good. Well, I, hey, before I kick it to uh, Peyton Ed, so share with us your most worst preaching experience that you've had.
2: Tocoa Falls College. And it was <laughs> maybe 10 years ago. Someone will send this podcast to them. And it's actually kind of it's not it's you'll think it's funny, but it's not funny when you hear the whole thing. But since it's the worst. So I was there speaking in chapel and um, there was a kind of a some students, uh, maybe five rows back. And there's this one um, student who was making uh, loud, some louder noises. And uh, but it it was actually a couple of things. But one of the things he was doing, he was sort of. Taking his um, his his like pen and was rubbing it on this uh, this noise on this spiral notebook, I think, and then everyone was laughing around him, and this was in the middle of my chapel message, and it was really quite evident that this was um, you know, disruptive and more. So I actually said, um, "I'm so sorry, young man." I said it really nicely. If you wouldn't mind, I just if just let me finish my chapel message, and you know, very infrequently would you do something like that, but it was that disruptive. And um, afterwards, these very good students, justice-minded students, came up with me one at a time and explained to me that uh, that young man had Tourette syndrome. And um, and it was brutal for – I mean, nobody heard anything I said once I – even as nice as I was once I asked him to. And and I will tell you in a couple of things. First, um, if you have – foreknowledge of this, you would, I would, why would they, you know, so, so Toccoa Falls, I'm certain would tell people that, but didn't tell me that that day. And secondarily, it also made me much more aware that there might be different reasons that if I'm a guest speaker and someone's making additional noise um, and no one else is doing anything about it, I don't understand why people were laughing about it. But if you don't know why, maybe you should just be quiet and continue to teach and preach and let your host take care of that. So is that is that a high level of pretty? That's,
1: yeah, wow. That was it, a Nancy you know, Pelosi setup right there. That's well, what that was. And I have so tons of that. connections to Tacoa Falls. So I'm, I'm I love Toccoa Falls. Really- interested to find out who was there that oh it was it was
2: years ago so it wouldn't be anybody it was like 10 15 years ago and i would love they invited me back um i think uh, about five years after and uh and i i couldn't we just didn't the, the timing didn't work out but i do to go falls i love you you're doing great work um there's a great story to go falls dam break in georgia you got to read dam break in georgia jimmy carter actually wrote some about it uh faithfully showing and sharing the love of jesus and what's most fascinating if you go there, the um, you can actually see some of the places where some famous movies were delivered, uh, where were actually uh, filmed, including one where a banjo sound ding, ding 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 is very famous in that movie. But anyway, that's but go Falls. I, I love you, and that was my fault, and I learned. The Lord and His goodness helped me to learn that maybe. If there's something that's out of the unusual and no one else seems to be worried about it, I shouldn't be worried about it. Okay. That's pretty, that's, I think that's the first yeah. time I've shared that in public.
1: I, I'm, I'm glad that that happened before like pastors were being blasted on social media. Cause last year that happened to a guy who, who tried to quiet a, 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 a family. I think there's a child crying yeah. and he was plastered all over
2: Facebook. So and yeah. Yeah, it it's tough. And, you know, we all kidding aside, it is tough to make that determination. And and it's very easy for people with like a child crying, or whatever, to sit back and say, well, you know, you shouldn't, or you should. That's one where your well-trained greeters and ushers can be your friend in that situation. Uh, pastors should not be the ones who are having to uh, address that. And, and if you're a guest speaker, as I've learned, if, if someone's not addressing it, it probably means that they're aware of that and there's a reason for it. So lesson learned, let Ed Stetzer's really, I mean, again, I, and I kind of point about, you know, for me, it was embarrassing, but I can imagine how much more embarrassing it was for the young man who I didn't get a chance to see um, and, uh, you know, for being called out. So, so don't even think about our own embarrassment. Think about embarrassing be for the person on the other side. Anyway, but that's not the point of our conversation today. But you did let me walk through my failure and my pain, <laughs> um, and so thank you for that. So, and that that's by the way rad. did not tell me that ahead of time. This was spur of the moment. Thanks for nothing.
0: Well, my goal today was to partially get Daniel in trouble with his boss. Successful,
2: so. successful. Boom. All
1: right, right there, Daniel. What's yours, man? Oh boy. Uh, so everybody's got the sick story where, uh, you know, you were preaching while you were sick and um, I was, I was just, I had no business being up on the pulpit um, and I got maybe 20 minutes into my message. I didn't know what I was preaching about anymore. Uh, and <laughs> so I just abruptly finished the sermon and uh, quickly went home to take a nap. And so wow. it was, and it was one of those things where like people were gracious. They knew that I weren't, I wasn't in good shape. And so they were like, okay, you know what? You didn't have to knock it out of the park today. So, But that was pretty embarrassing. Like Once I came to myself, I was like, I can't believe I did that.
2: That's crazy.
0: So I've done too many. It's hard to pick just one. Have you fallen
2: down while you're speaking? I don't think so. I've done that at Liberty University. Fell down. It's on video. So that's a win. That's uh, never, We're going to have that in the show notes, everybody. Hey, exactly, real no, quick. No, no, they they have uh, a <laughs> Jonathan Falwell. My good friend, Jonathan has a copy of it, but he has graciously not shared it with people, but I want to know yours and it has to be really, really good.
0: Now, now it's gone out of my head. I had it picked out. Um, right. So I, I've done everything in Britain from like using a word that's totally harmless in America, which I can't say, Yeah. but uh, I've done that. Um, I've only once gone to the bathroom with a microphone on. Only oh, that's once. always a good one. I've never had my fly open. That's a good one. But I've witnessed others. Um, oh, I'm forgetting my one. So I guess maybe maybe my... Uh, Early onset dementia, this is good. I'm safe. Was, by I'm
2: going to give you one extra bonus for me that, that the theological <laughs> nerds will appreciate because that last one was just to my shame and embarrassment. But this one will give people on Twitter an opportunity to call me heretic. I was preaching at Westminster Chapel um, and loved the um, – uh, uh, what an opportunity. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, R.T. Kendall actually set me up to preach there. I wore Martin Luther jones robe, but not to preach. They don't do that much anymore. Nice. Geneva but, gown. Yeah, yeah, it was very cool. But the, uh, so I got up there and for some reason I was talking about how um, it was around, maybe it was around Christmas, and I said that at Christmas time God made Jesus. And I, I, I meant to say God sent Jesus. And I just realized that I've, I've, I've literally preached heresy at Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones Church. So then I pretty much spent the next 15 minutes walking in, you know, all all the creeds. And, you know, as the Athanasian Creed says, you know, the, or it's you know, <laughs> eternally existing as, you know, God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit. Because I was so overcome saying that it was actually embarrassing. But I literally preached heresy from the pulpit of, uh, I and corrected, it, corrected my own heresy, but preached heresy from uh, the Westminster Chapel pulpit. So there you go. It's, well, it's so
0: that's the thing. If you're going to be in that pulpit and have a story, it should be something like that. It was that's like the wonderful. time... I literally met Lou Ferrigno and I made him angry because I knocked his sign over. And if there's one thing you want to do when you real. meet Lou Ferrigno, you want to make him angry. That is great. So For you really real. did that? That's not made That's up. That's my real That's story. He got mad at me. And I remember thinking he could have done anything, but he got mad
2: at me. That's, That's what you want Lou Ferrigno to do. That's awesome, but still, you have not given us an embarrassing pulpit story. I kind of am disappointed, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, you know, that.
0: it it wasn't so much embarrassing. It was, um, I okay. So my mentor, you mentioned Martin
2: Lloyd Jones. So the guy who mentored me was one of his proteges. I love how you were, like Martin Lloyd Jones is my mentor. Martin Lloyd Jones like it's <laughs> was not my mentor, but anyway, tell me your mentor.
0: Well so my mentor was a guy named Peter Jeffrey and he took over Sandfields, a church in Wales. And he he was the master of the 10-minute sermon. Right? Nice. He was a street preacher. And I was going into an old folks' home to preach, and he'd give me all these assignments. And he said, Five minutes. That's all you can do. So I was so nervous, five minutes. It was like you were being tested. And I would say, How do you stop at five minutes? He goes, You just stop, man. That's it. You just stop and 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 so I was not gonna fail him, and I was going I go into this old folks' home I preach this is sandfields it's right by the by the church there and uh people were there to watch this is the new evangelist at this church right and so I go in to preach five minutes I'm so hyper focused on the time two minutes in this old guy goes, "Is he done yet?" He just goes on and on and on, and it just killed it. And from then on, I had Daniel's experience, which is time
2: and space lost all meaning. I was done, right? So... That is amazing. And what a blessing. I love this already. So, all right, good, 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 good.
0: <laughs> well, we have said, we've talked about doing this for weeks and, and, and we saved it for you. So, this is the right way to do it, to jump straight in. So, Ed, one of the things we want to ask you, um, obviously, you have talked to just so many leaders out there. And of course, you know, as an academic and a practical, you know, grassroots church planner, you've got this balance where you get to walk in both both worlds. So, it is exciting to talk to you because one of the things you don't do, Ed, that I respect is you don't pretend like you've got a time machine or a crystal ball and you've been in the future. You keep it very current. You keep it very relative to what to what we know without veering too much, into what nobody can really know. Um, can you start off by telling us uh, in the light of the lockdowns, COVID-19, the reopening, all the turmoil it's caused, what's the lay of the land church-wise right now in America in
2: regards to COVID? What, what, where are we at? Yeah. Well, and I think you know part of acknowledging the moment is to see exactly where are we at. And, and I think people are unsure and... Uh, so let's let's talk about the the lay of the proverbial land. The lay of the proverbial land is that uh, it's different depending upon where you are. I was with a group of Wesleyan, uh, mostly megachurch pastors that we just had a kind of day long meeting, and you know the Wesleyan pastor in Wyoming, I said, "So what's your percentage? Everyone's percentage of attendance?" And he said, "We're at ninety percent." So we 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 we're just going, and yet somebody from Detroit was at ten percent, and so it's very difficult to say. If leadership is in part defining reality, it's very difficult to have local, uh, it's going to be national leadership now when so many questions are locally determined. So, for example, you know, my church gathered Sunday, which if you're in Illinois, sounds a little surprising because a lot of churches are not. um, But at the same time, um, a lot of churches are uh, been gathering. I mean, 60 percent of churches, according to a Lifeway Research study uh, a couple weeks ago we're already meeting and so but not in Chicago land and so it's sort of a, a hit and mix I think what is in common in all places is that there's a great frustration with pastors and people are frustrated at pastors in a way they haven't been before and pastors are frustrated they feel they're going to like fugue state they feel a constant maybe low-level anxiety 25 percent this is an its debts are made up stat 25 percent of the church, is mad at them because they're a compromised coward and either they're not gathering or they're talking about masks and they should just, you know, just go full on MacArthur and be done with it. And then 25% of the church, uh, you know, thinks they're terrible for, I mean, people are, this is a pandemic. How can we even meet, you know, maybe their child has asthma or something. And then in the middle people are just feeling tossed about. So I think the lay of the land, if I had to kind of describe it is conflicted, I think there's a lot of anger that has now been kind of brought into the pandemic conversation. There's some fear and then there's frustration that people have with the fear. And what I would say is for a lot of pastors and church leaders, they're unsure how to respond. And I would say they're finding doors closed, particularly, you know, we're talking about church planners. What about meeting in schools when schools are operating under the bubble, they call it. And so you've got the challenges of, um, that unique to church planting right now, I would say it's a good time to be a church uh, planter or a small church. It's a good time to be in a small church or to be in a uh, large church. Um, uh, I'm sorry. It's a good time to be a small church or a church plant. The, the tricky part is, is um, even some of those church plants, those doors are being closed. So I would say the state of the union is tumultuous confusing but I believe there are opportunities before us
1: yeah and I mean I know that uh, you have spent a lot of time uh, really even here at Wheaton uh, developing uh, you know curriculum developing resources for pastors we want to eventually talk about you know the future and church planting and mission but over the last couple of months um, talk about like crisis leadership uh, talk about some of the things that maybe uh, you've been involved in in helping to equip pastors. I know you've talked about like, you know, leadership in the basement, uh, help, help, help some of our listeners to kind of understand what does it look like to lead in crisis in the next few months um, so that you can come out on the back end really thinking about mission and, and church planting.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So one of the things that I think you should um, rightly assume is um, you should rightly assume that this, this crisis is not over yet. And I don't know if you saw Israel just announced a national three weeks shutdown. Um, and I don't think we'll do that again. Uh, well, you know, for every, a lot a lot, a lot of it depends on the election to be perfectly honest. And, uh, if president Trump is, I bet you didn't expect me to mention president Trump on your podcast, Peyton, but, um, if president Trump's elected, I don't think you'll see a national shutdown. I think if the new president is president Biden, you could, so that impacts everything. So right now, that means that all the churches that are regathering could be ungathered, and if it's not on a national level, you could expect these things on a state level as well, or a county level. You know, you got to remember. So 10 years ago, my daughter was one of the first people to get uh, swine flu. Uh, it was an H1N1. And back then they thought the mortality rate would be much higher, so we had to isolate her in a reverse pressure room. We we got masks before you kids were all wearing masks. We were wearing masks. They shut down our church in the county. So Long Hollow was the name of our church. It got shut down. Uh, the big camp was brought it back. The schools. So that was a county. And you're probably ten years ago. You don't remember church being shut down. I do because we were, and then we made the national news in our county. So I think we can expect an accordion sort of like approach to church for the next year, perhaps, which has led many to just say, you know, Andy Stanley in the podcast you and I do, Daniel uh, Stetzer Leadership Podcast, we he talked about we're just you know we we're choosing clarity, and we're not gathering until twenty twenty. But if you remember, one of the questions I asked him is, what if there's no vaccine in twenty twenty? And now people are reading the news stories, and this could be till next summer. Or who knows? Remember, some uh, viruses never find a vaccine. HIV, we have no HIV vaccine. It's a virus. Um, So I think that moving forward, one of the key words for success is going to be flexibility. And the challenge is, I mean, people are thinking, well, we were flexible. We went online. Well, people are tired of being online. And you're starting to see that now. I believe that the two big things. One is... You preparing for the next wave of the crisis is essential. And uh, the thing Daniel's referring to is a course we did at WheatonX. If you go to wheatonx.wheaton.edu, you can find it. And basically, it's a resource, uh, basically, crisis leadership. And I brought in five friends and scholars, and we have these uh, five, you know, five, you know, we go, we go through and talk about how to lead through a crisis. And the thing you mentioned about the basement is in a crisis, everyone goes down to the basement and then eventually gets the courage and the clarity to get up to the workroom, start figuring out what to do. But for many of us, we need to get into the laboratory, which is the second floor, and think what are we going to do different or better through and after this crisis? Which leads to my second point is that I think in the laboratory, you need to ask the question, how do we move the predominant functions of church life to its periphery into small group community? How do we uh, function? So again, accordion-like means – and we've heard churches doing this. We we know we on the pod, on the podcast, Daniel and I do, we talk about JD Greer transitioning to this. The most popular podcast outside of the Andy Stanley podcast, and maybe the one we did with Marco Ruby, I don't remember, but is the one with Neil Cole, which was the second podcast. We had Andy Crouch first, Neil Cole second. I think that if I'm in your shoes, and actually I'm I'm let me let me just disclose too. Um, I'm actually now the official interim teaching pastor of a church in Manhattan, in New York City. That's on West 57th Street. It's a skyscraper church. It's I think it's 30 stories to- a high. That is not being used. That and the question we're asking now: It's Calvary Baptist Church in New York City. Used to uh, uh, Stephen Olford's old church. Uh, and but you know what a kind of like a Moody church, historic church. But you know what we're asking? I mean, is we don't see a direct path to begin to meet for months. So how do we empower our small groups that, to be honest, might not have been a strength and now have to be a strength? I think every church in America needs to get in the laboratory, and the laboratory they need to figure out is a robust pushing of the functions and practices of church life to small groups and missional communities in a way like they never have before. That would be what I would say would be the next thing. And I will try to answer the next question shorter in, in length. No.
0: It's it's actually fantastic. I mean, uh, real quick reminder: we want to dig deeper into that. But real quick reminder for those of you that have joined us: don't forget that um, probably you know a little bit, not not too much longer. We're going to ask for your questions, so be sure to pop those in the chat. Uh, we will handle those and we'll 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 pitch them at Ed. Um, he'll answer them as best he can. Daniel and I have, uh, some other questions we're going to ask. One of the things that's been bothering us is what's it like to have hair, but we're going to save that one for the end, you know, in, in, if we have time, but in the wow. meantime, wow. what? well, you know, these are the things bald guys think about. It's but, like, uh,
1: it starts here for me and, and then right. it goes right here. And the edges goes all the way around.
0: Yeah. No, mine doesn't even come up here anymore. It, say, it refuses. It's,
2: three kinds of people in the world. There are uh, women, there are men with beards and there are boys. So just, hey. uh, we have that going on right there. The, I, I thought you were
0: going go for the, for the uh, three types of haircuts, the parted, unparted and departed. Cause I'm That's definitely great. in that.
2: So do you actually like, I see some like, like shadowing on the side. <laughs> do you have like that 50 year old salesman, you know, Fun-shaped hair that, and you shave it off so you don't look that way, or is it oh, no, yeah.
0: all on Yeah, that stings a bit, but yes,
2: you know it. it yeah, I do. I could have like the lobot cut, you know, like yeah, on Empire Strikes Back, the robot like, guy. Yeah, you look like that. You know, the people from like it's the salesman. You look like a fifty-year-old. Everybody's salesman. grandpa. That's yeah, what exactly, I look like. Like, exactly. but Daniel, I think Daniel is rocking that. Like, there's no. He just rocks that. So, yeah, I'm too you know, lazy like, to shave every day. I would never have made it in Victorian times. On there, I mean, that's that's, that's <laughs> it's getting a little creepy right here.
1: Okay,
0: so now we're going to get me in trouble with my boss, okay. right? Like that's where this. Is goes. We boss? better get we, back we into this. Wonder
2: who is your boss?
0: Todd Wilson is my work boss. He is Todd my Wilson? master. I obey Roche, him. <laughs> I didn't know you worked with Todd Wilson. Wow, <laughs> that makes me Kramer, doesn't it, or yeah, can I be Seinfeld? I don't know. So here we go. Our next question. So, uh, this is part of what fascinates me about this, Ed, because the church was caught off guard, right? I mean, yeah. you've been writing missional things, other people have been writing things, but um, it's interesting because if I'm talking to like a Hugh Halter or Alan Hirsch, they're both like, I got nothing right now. It's almost like I discharged this burden that God spoke to the church it's out there. What are some ways that you felt, because you mentioned small groups. And I want to go deeper into that. What are some other ways where the church got caught out by this? And what are some things that it needs to recover in addition to small groups?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. And I would say, you know, the, the biggest probably uh, deficit, I guess maybe that's a good way to put it, is um, the biggest deficit Biggest deficit this revealed is actually, I would say, our reliance on Sunday morning, in in multiple levels, and um, I, I would say, for example, just for our gathering in our community, you know. But that's not the only thing that the Sunday morning was relying upon. So, for example, I think everyone would agree that the predominant way that people have come to faith in Christ in most churches for the last fifty plus years has, which is not historically true, but has been, invite your friends to church we even have pithy phrases to describe it. We say invest and invite, and then some kind of well-trained pastor will, will communicate the gospel and invite women and men to respond by grace and through faith. And I, and I would say there's actually a word that's called, I mean, a phrase that's church evangelism. When we teach evangelism, we, you know, everyone knows what mass evangelism is. You think of the ministry of Billy Graham, right? Or lots of others, but certainly the most famous. Um, and then there's, you know, um, you know, ministry evangelism that's you know think of Steve Shogren and others who talked about you know kindness as, a, as an evangelistic opportunity but church evangelism really has been how we've done evangelism for the last 50 years and I say 50 years it could be longer I mean think back in the 50s when denominations had huge Sunday school enrollment campaigns which were basically boiled down to as get people to church so they can hear the gospel. And then the seeker movement came along in the eighties and it was get people, get boomers to come back to church and the Willow Creeks and the Saddlebacks taught us all get people in church and they'll hear the gospel. And, you know, and the seeker movement, you know, sped up the music and spruced up the building and spiced up the sermons. But at the end of the day, it was still get people into the building to hear the gospel. And so then, you know, that changed even maybe with, you know, we got young Russellson reformed or, or others. And, but they all still relied on the Sunday gathered experience. And if your church is, not even if your church was traditional, but Christmas and Easter became key outreach seasons. Bring a friend in in, in September became a key season. All of our launch ideas, you know, like church planners, let's launch in the spring and fall are all built upon what, you know, you could call attractional models, come and see, whatever term you want to use. So all these were uh, normative kind of expressions and practices of church life. And then that's removed from us. Now the example, and I'm not sure the example was with, was from me or I heard it from somebody else might've been, I heard it from Alan Hirsch, but, but I do remember this to be true. I played chess competitively in high school, which probably doesn't surprise anybody who appreciates the full nerddom that is Ed Stetzer. And I actually won, you know, I I was, I was uh, won my high school, which I seemed like a big deal at the time. And but one of the ways that we would practice chess, we had a chess club and a sponsor is the chess club sponsor would tell us, OK, we're going to set up your board and everyone take off your queen. And the reason we take off the queen is is uh, inexperienced chess players. Their queen is doing all the work. It's like zipping over. Your, you don't know chess. The queen is the most powerful player, protects, you know, zips or so you can go this way you can go that way. Other players are limited in what they can do. And when you're an inexperienced chess player, you rely on that which has the most power, but you don't deploy the rooks and the bishop and the pawns and whatever else, the knights. And so by playing without the queen, you learn to be a fully orbed chess player. And what we learned in high school was that you want to be fully orbed, take out the most powerful thing. and. What I think we were not prepared for, and though I will tell you, angsty books and blogs and podcasts have been put out for now 30 years from the missional church movement, saying the church has got to leave the building. It's not all about the Sunday gathering. And I would say that in about three weeks, God did what the angsty books and blogs and podcasts didn't do for 30 years. And the queen has been removed as, I mean, think about how versatile the queen is, right? When we partake in the ordinances, we do it in that gathered Sunday experience. When we reach people for Jesus, we do it in that gathered Sunday experience. When we build community, we do it in that gathered Sunday experience. When we sing, we do it in that gathered Sunday experience. So all these things are driven by the all-powerful queen worship service, and she has been dethroned, and we should have been more ready. And I would say some churches were more ready than others, um, but in doing so, The end result is I think we've exposed the worship service as—and I want to be very careful with my words here, so let me kind of unpack this a little bit—as the overused tool and the central point of reference for our church, keeping in mind that Ed Stetzer believes that biblical gathering is a command, it's a mark of a biblical church— and the presentation of the Word of God and the engagement in the ordinances. I think uh, these should I'm not casually moving, oh, this is no big deal. But it has become not a big deal. I think gathering on for weekend worship should be a big deal. It has become the big deal, and it is it has diminished the other pieces that should be at play, ministries and communities, small groups and more. And I think we need to rebalance the scales. Now, so that we don't go back to the way it was before. That's a, and I said I was going to do shorter answers. I clearly did not, but that's my thought.
1: Yeah, well, I think there's so much there that uh, really the pandemic's really pushing us to uh, innovation and maybe just to rediscover some ancient practices that really, you know, church in a house uh, we see all over the New Testament. And so we're going to roll into some of these questions because they're coming in pretty fast here. Um, so many good questions here. So I want you to hold that thought, Ed, because there's been a lot of questions around here on microchurch and small groups. Uh, but before we get to that, one of the first questions that came in was really uh, around the idea of, you know, how to navigate leadership during this time. And so one of the uh, listeners, they, they asked, so many pastors are, are dealing with civil, you know, they're dealing with civil unrest within congregations over reopening politics, race, etc. What would you say to a pastor who doesn't know how to move forward uh, as we get closer to the election?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we're actually, um, we just shot a course on some of the stuff that we release in next week. So I'm kind of, it's all on my head uh, that we've been going through all this stuff. I would say that, um, this is going to take a time. And I just want to start with what may surprise you is not how you should communicate it, but how you should engage it. And we need some courage. We need pastors with some courage because right now um, you've got a lot of evangelical pastors um, and um, have really in ways that they haven't been before been speaking up and speaking into issues of race. And there's a, um, a response to that that's come from some sometimes from more fringe uh, aspects of social media, but they have impacted people in our congregation. And now, for example, people who haven't heard the three words critical race theory until about uh, a week ago are now saying, when you talk about systemic injustice, um, that that's critical race theory. Or when you talk about, um, about, you know, the, the, the imbalances in society, you're a cultural Marxist. And what I would say is, is, um, you're going to have to lead through that. And you lead through that by probably becoming more aware of what these things are. And I think that's a good thing. And you'll read through some things and you'll say, well, I really don't, I mean, for me, I read, I really don't affirm this, but when we're talking about systemic racism, that's not that. And I really think we need to have more conversations about why our sisters and brothers, for example, in the African-American community, wonder if their lives matter. I want to, you know, and, and the challenge is, is that you're, if you're a pastor and church leader, well, you probably are if you're watching this, you're, um, you know, you know you're, and you may be African-American, so let's, for that moment, put this to, if you're Anglo or Asian or or Latino uh, and and not African-American, you, you might say, well, you know, all the African-American pastors and friends I have tell me that their experience is different than mine, their lived experience is different than mine. All of the African-American pastors and leaders I know or almost all tell me that, they think systemic injustice is real and systemic racism exists. But every time I mention something on that, someone from church sends me a video from one of four people who are African American and have a different view, but it's the same four people over and over and over again. And should I listen to the lived experience of the people who I know and hopefully in relationship with people of different races and backgrounds, or this one person that fits the African American leader who, and again, there's no African American view but who may have a view that's more aligned with people who are critical of our conversation about race. And that's one that keeps coming to me. And what I would say is listen to diverse viewpoints and then you're going to have to lead through this because um, the, and the way I, there are a lot of ways to lead through this. And that's part of what this new course, we call it, what now, you know, how to lead in times of tumultuous and turbulent times is this is on all kinds of issues. So how do you deal with an issue where transgenderism is, now a central focus and kind of the next part of the conversation about sexual identity and gender identity uh, in our world today and how do you walk through that and what I would say is I think it requires a level of engagement that's beyond if I, if I got one more tweet that says uh, do your research and then they link to this you know six minute poorly edited YouTube video that somebody put together yeah and it is I mean it is take time to do your research but part of it is is to listen to people who don 't just affirm what you think well, I got this video, and this 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 person says that my well, the way I live the world is true and and that my African American friends and evangel even evangelical pastors they must not be understanding it like this video on youtube, and so what I would say is take the time to listen to learn, but then I started with clear this first thing is you 're going to have to have courage that 's number one number two. You're going to have to become accustomed to conflict. I've said for years that if you chose pastoral ministry thinking you would avoid conflict, that you have chosen badly. If you want everyone to like you, go sell ice cream. Um, the reality is, if I used to say if 5% of your church isn't mad at you, you're probably not leading well or doing anything of substance. And if 70% of your church is mad at you, you might want to tone it down and you know slow it down. I think that number has gone up. I think pastors should be accustomed to 15, 20% of their people being unhappy with decisions because everything now has been politicized. Everything is politicized. Do you wear a mask or not politicized? Do you have worship or not politicized? Do you tell people the masks are required or not politicized? So Donna said to me yesterday, we were going to church first time in in months that we went to our church. And she said, um, talking, wasn't talking about our church, but where churches at, why do churches have one service for, Masks and one for a service where masks are, were, are suggested but not required. And I and I and I said, having talked to a pastor in Texas, he said, because people, people in church said they're gonna come anyway. And and they had a question of whether or not they're gonna create a scene and they had to walk through that. And so they said, okay, this level of conflict may not be worth this. So we'll have two services. The the first service is masks required, the second service is masks strongly suggested. Because if you don't do that, if you don't enforce that then what you have is you have people, you know, we had Rochelle Sherman, one of the professors on my faculty, uh, write an article about she can't go to her church anymore. She has a child who has special needs and, and because they're giving in to the loudest voices on one side, she can't go because she doesn't know what the situation will be. And how do we care for the least vulnerable? So start with courage. I would say second, get used to another uh, acknowledgement of ongoing conflict. Just, Raise, you know, Sam Chand, we, we all love Sam if you read his book. Um, pain is a key part of leadership. I think this is going to be the most painful time that we already for many are leading for it. And, and I think, so I'll just stop there. I, I would say courage and conflict are just the new normal and we're going to have to do it. I would say in the midst of all that, make sure that you do not get hardened and angry towards people who differ than you on this. I get there are people who love Jesus and who I am friends with who, who think that this is all a hoax. I think, they're, I think they're wrong, and I'm deeply concerned about the implications if their view were to— I mean, the idea that people are saying there is no pandemic, this has serious consequences in people's actions that could have consequences to their lives. But I'm going to love them, and I'm going to try to help them see a different and a better way.
0: You know, that's so good and so helpful. My, my daughter has special needs, and a week ago Sunday, we were at Children's Hospital getting her tested for COVID because yeah. she's so susceptible. So we're also in that camp, and, um, you know, so I appreciate that balance. And, and oddly enough, um, Saturday, I had a, a conversation with one of the leaders um, of one of the churches I planted in America and, you know, they called me into this situation just to chat. And we had a really reasonable conversation. He was like, hey, I believe these conspiracy theories, I believe that this is on a spiritual and epic proportion. And uh, we had a chat and he agreed, you know, hey, kind of like that first Timothy passage where he goes, look, uh, tell them not to talk about endless genealogies and myths and faith. Like if, if right now you can't hold to the gospel, um, and we're just going to preach that, then just come off leadership. You don't. We, we don't have to fall out. We don't have to not be friends anymore. We don't. I don't have to. We don't have to prove who's right or wrong. Let's just make that a deal. And um, so I appreciate that, man. That's exactly where right now uh, my life has fallen on on almost every single. Bucket that you just spoke about. I yeah, no, it's, it's a crazy time. It's
2: a crazy time, and I posted in the comments that article I mentioned because you can't Google Rochelle Sherman's name; it's a strange spelling. So, but if I'm not sure how our technology works, so if that's not available to all viewers, let's drop it over in that side so they can see that article as well. I think it's helpful.
0: So, one of the questions we have right now, a lot of them have come up about micro churches. Yeah. One of the questions is: Is it possible? I think we've gotten three questions on micro churches. Oh. Is it possible for churches to embrace a micro church mindset while at the same time holding on to the more traditional gathering and one that's kind of like unto it? Is what is the best small group model that actually works in American culture?
2: Oh, yeah. And so the 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 answer is it's shaped it's shaped and framed by the moment we're in. So. Um, if you were to ask that question um, and, and, and to say, um, you know, do you think that you can be micro church and large church at the same time? And you would ask Tony and Felicity Dale, uh, Felicity wrote Simply Church, or Neil Cole for Organic Church, or Wolfgang Simpson, houses that change the world. Uh, they would all say no. And they would rightfully acknowledge that the gravitational pull, I, I, I hosted years ago. Uh, the mega, I facilitated, I think someone else hosted. Uh, they had the mega churches in Austin with the micro churches in Austin. And Felicity Dale, who just was so amazing, um, is, is, um, is, she just said, you know, I'm not competition, you guys. Don't feel that way because, you know, when and Hill Country Bible Church was there, uh, you know, Tim Hawkes is a wonderful pastor. And I just remember Tim and Felicity kind of engaging. And Felicity's like, our singing is really bad. And there's like 15 of us in a room and we're really passionate about this, but then they go to your church and it's like literally being, you know, transported to heaven. And it's like, you know, the bands playing and people are singing. And, and what I would say is normally you have to have some sort of gravitational, um, pull removed. And so, and what I would say is you look at, um, there are 34 Western industrialized democracies in the world and there's no, and this, this always frustrates my, my house, simple, organic church friends. There's no simple church, organic church, house church movement among, in any of them among majority peoples. So, and, you know, and I've done the research and I was the missiologist for the, you know, largest Protestant of the domination in America. And I flew around the country looking for these movements that people kept mentioning in their books that weren't uh, identifiable by actual research. So, so what we found is, is that uh, there is not a movement like that among majority peoples in 34 Western industrialized democracies. So what is it? Because in industrialized democracies that are non-Western, we've seen movements and in, in Western industrialized non-democracies we've seen movements. So what is it about this? And it has seemed to be that there were some sort of downward pressure. So in Cuba, the downward pressure is government oppression. Um, in China, the downward pressure can be government oppression in, uh, parts of Bangladesh. The downward pressure is economics. It can't, you know, it's, it's can't afford, or in parts of Kenya, it's downward pressure is economics. So what is the downward pressure that would cause people to reconsider walking into a Hill Country Bible church is basically heavenly worship and amazing teaching. I mean, Tim Hawkes, he's, I mean, gee whiz. And what is it that would be the downward pressure that would push people to the periphery of church life and practice? And the answer may be a global pandemic. Now it's probably not Peyton because we've had, what was it? 33 global pandemic since the beginning of the church. And, and afterwards, you know, in, in the, The Black Death swept through Europe, and they met in cathedrals before, and they met in cathedrals during, and they met in cathedrals after, and they already knew that being near each other spread disease. They might not know about exponential vector transmission, but they knew that. So what typically tends to happen is is that we do revert to the norm. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And most likely, three years from now, um, this enthusiasm for microchurch will... Wayne, I'm of the view that in God's goodness, in the midst of a very bad, broken situation where people are dying around the world, and I think it is the greatest global crisis in our lifetime, and I think anybody who denies that's not paying attention, I think that if we could, while the downward pressure is upon us, and this is what we're going to be doing at Calvary in New York City, um is and here and we have a building on again west 57th street i mean it's it's in and yet this is not where we are going to be you google the church it's it's a fascinating facility right on uh, what's called billionaires row in manhattan and uh and yet that's unused right now so could we in god's goodness push to the periphery of church life empower lay people as functional lay pastors have a more micro church-like practice that then when we can re-emerge in our buildings as fully as we want to, I recognize in Wyoming the situation is different than in Manhattan, but when we can re-emerge into those buildings, can we continue? Because this is better. It is better if the life of the community takes place. It's more likely, you know, Daniel's involved in a missional church community Uh, church planting endeavor in Aurora, it is more likely that the people in Daniel's living room or the living room where they're meeting who see each other day by day, who say, how are you doing spiritually? How are you growing? How are you using your gifts? It is far more likely to have a high percentage of people engaged and involved in discipleship and ministry than it is if we come into a place where we all line up in rows facing forward like shelves at Walmart, watching what takes place on a stage. So the question, the questioner asked, can we do the best of both of those things? And I would say now we can, the question will be, will we? And the second, can we sustain it when the gravitational pull has returned that the full on uh, Hill Country Bible, I'm just using an example, but the full on Hill Country Bible experience is there. So again, this is a great time to have a greater sense of microchurch engagement and involvement. But I would ask the question, how can we create and maintain this peripheral-based structure after the pandemic has ended?
1: And, and you know, Ed, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, you and I, a Senate to we partnered with the Chicagoland Church Planning Alliance, and we held a think tank here in Chicagoland focused on uh, microchurches and missional communities. And one of the things that came out of it was the willingness of larger churches to learn from yeah. smaller missional communities and then have that conversation in our city. How do we c- create a collaborative network where we can see microchurches, missional communities flourish? One of the complexities is going to be when denominations begin uh, uh, supporting and helping missional communities, micro microchurches churches. Can, can you speak to that? How can you? How can denominations have a, an imagination for how to support these works, uh, where you know maybe in the past, at least in the last four years, they've predominantly planted, launched large churches.
2: Yeah, but I, I would say, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's listening to me, but for the last fifteen years, I've been promoting, engaging, you know, and in in planning missional churches. I talked about how every denomination in in in, uh, in viral churches. We talked about every denomination should have a strategy of, you know, and I, I tried to come up with a cool word for it in one version of planting missional churches. I think it was kinos churches, which is just kind of the Greek word for that sort of smaller context, and it didn't really catch on, and that's okay. Um, you know, it's always fun to be the person who helps create a new term, but um, the, so so. I, what I would say is I think that that's always been the case. The, the challenge has been, in, in my own denomination, we had a state district um, basically adopt a policy that they weren't going to do any more um, what we might call traditional. I don't think of church planting as a traditional endeavor. Uh, but when we do church planting, you know, we launch large or whatever it may be. That's kind of a traditional model. We've been doing that since the eighties. So, um, so I've always tried to encourage, but what, what happened in one of our state districts is they decided that, okay, we think if we're going to have movement. We've got to stop resourcing that. And they just did, I think they use the term organic uh, in that context, but again, we're using micro organic. I guess micro is becoming more and more of a generic term. Uh, and I will tell you, it didn't, it didn't work. Um, and many of the people who started micro eventually became just, you know, standard traditional churches. And so what I would say is I think it's always appropriate to have a diverse portfolio if you're a denominational leader. So I I think people need to realize that I think probably the most important, um, most significant and influential leader in church planting in North America today is actually probably Andy Stanley. And I know that seems strange to people, but there are very many because we go to these conferences and meetings and, you know, people are talking and, you know, Alan Hirsch, I mean, you know, Alan's a good friend. I I wrote the forward to his most recent book. Um, I love Alan. And so we're disproportionately influenced by Alan Hirsch, Neil Cole, but I would say the majority of church planters are more in that ARC stream. I mean, they're not necessarily in ARC, but, you know, that launch large, influenced by Andy Stanley, uh, but that's not the conversation that denominational leaders tend to have. And so I just have to remind them that probably the majority of their planters, and if it's in a more like, if it's like PCA or SBC, they wouldn't use those names as readily, maybe, but they're still thinking in terms of that sort of approach. So what I would say is it's disproportionately represented in our conversation, you know, Peyton and Daniel and Ed and Exponential and more and you know the Ferguson's and Todd Wilson. Um, but one of the things Exponential does is try to you know serve that buffet, and I think it's good. I'm mixing metaphors here, but I think it's good to have a uh, to have a diverse portfolio, which is always tricky because every year you'll hear you know Todd will tell me uh, we're just having a conversation at some point, and he'll say. You know, our evaluation said we were too house church this year, or we were too, you know, whatever, young Russell reforms, sort of, you know, or too emerging. And but I think denomination leaders need to have that diverse portfolio, that buffet of options to support their planters. And I would think that right now you should see, and I would want to affirm more people engaging in microchurch um, and even established church plants moving in more of that direction. Or even in the case of you know Cal- Calvary, where where I'm serving, a 150 year old church with a building in Manhattan that's saying, how do we become micro churches across the city of New York? And wow, that's a whole whole different world. than having an interim who's doing the interim from his basement in Chicago. So I mean, so there's a weird world that we're living in. But the weird world, this is, um, you know, Lysol. I don't know if we have Lysol around here. I think I have Lysol somewhere. You know, all these, uh, like, oh, oof, oh, hold on. So like, um, you know, Lysol, Google the origin of Lysol and the origin of Lysol largely comes from the Spanish flu pandemic. Um, So there's stuff going on right now in ecclesiological worlds and work that people are going to be doing new things that God uses. I'm not saying Lysol is, uh, you know, God's particular divine creation like the church is but that God uses and 10 years from now we'll be having discussions that people we thought were quirky and out of the norm and out of the mainstream are now leading the conversation on church planting. And for me, you know, I'm in a more, I'm at Wheaton college, so it's, you know, more experimental, but my denomination's more conservative and traditional in my denomination. Uh, historically, we would let something crawl out of the primordial ooze of culture, a new ecclesiological life form. We'd shoot it, kill it, freeze it, autopsy it 15 years later, see if we like it. And that's, you know, we're right now purpose-driven is kind of like, the, I guess maybe that's okay in my denominational family, but it's, you know, after everyone else talked about it two decades ago. Now my denomination has a new church planning leader, Kevin Zell, who has, I really think flipped a lot of that. And I'm I'm very enthusiastic about that new approach, but we tend to be more cautious. And I would say that what we need right now is, giving people some space for ecclesiological and missiological experimentation, holding up views of a, what a biblical church should be. You know, I've written uh, that um, an article on six marks of a biblical church through everywhere and all places. I think that should still be something, but this is a great time for ecclesiological and missiological experimentation. What is God gonna do? Back to the crisis leadership. We got out of the basement in the workroom. Let's get out of the workroom. Let's get to the laboratory and let's ask what it is that God's gonna be using. And I would say at the same time, know that your church planners, I mean, they're drunk on the vision, to quote Sean Lovejoy, um, and they want you to believe as fully as they believe that their new approach to church planning that probably someone has thought of before, but they don't think anyone's thought of before, and it's the greatest thing ever, and there's going to be a million churches doing this in three years. You've got to sort of temper that. You've got to love and support, but also recognize that not every Great Commission experiment succeeds, and you've got to steward a whole movement as well.
0: That's really good, Ed. And I, I think that, uh, you know, if we can find it in the first century, God's used it in church history and
2: missionaries are finding it throughout the world. Those three things. And that's a pretty good, know. I love that. I mean, that's good stuff. I, Peyton, you're, you're surprisingly just shocking with the brilliant insight sitting in the millennium <laughs> and Hey, the peanut ball. gallery. No one ever talks to the peanut gallery. You know, I'm just saying, man, that's, well, but you, wish, know, you know, if you weren't like interviewing me, I could, I would love to turn the tables. We could interview you and have a fascinating conversation. But anyway, we'll do that for another day. I will tell you though, the fact that your head keeps collapsing in <laughs> is very disrespectful. You know, I like
0: to think like when I go like this and it gets kind of like the slee stacks on land of the lost, like, It's because I'm really intelligent and it's, you know,
2: love the land of the lost, the land of the
0: lost. Hey, Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And this is another quirky thing. I have an immense amount of TV shows memorized, unfortunately, but uh, it it gets in the way, but I uh, love that show. And I cannot believe they did a movie that was a travesty of it, but I love the original. Amen, brother preaching to the choir. There you go. But, you know, here's the thing is, see, if you and I ever write a book together, is that, I, that a, was that, just a plug. That was that a plug. I, be, I
2: don't know that I'd be good enough to write a book with you. So Holy crap.
0: You know what's funny, man, is I read your stuff when I was first planning. Like, it is always really cool to talk to you because I devoured your stuff. Wow. I mean, I've, I've got your old books, man. I've got books that like. You have like, the blue one? The one I have the blue cool. one with yeah, yeah. the orange on it.
2: Yeah, 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 So the first the first book that I published was Planting New Churches in a Postmodern Age. And that was a postmodern have that. was the thing. And Leonard Sweet, who's become a friend over the years, he agreed to write the forward. And I was just no one had ever read anything I'd written. I think I written three articles and he wrote the forward. And everyone told me, oh, I, I saw Len so, I mean, Len Sweet's name was bigger than my name on the book. And and everyone bought it because of Len Sweet. And I'm so thankful for Len's friendship and his blessing. But it was so funny because, you know, within a few years, I wanted to call it Planning Missional Churches. And the publisher said, what's, what's missional? And so they said New Church in Postmodern Age. And so I'm fun. If you got the blue one, you have been around a long time. I
0: have that right here. It's actually, it's probably somewhere in this stack or in the Millennium stack Falcon. over there. You don't
2: see any. Literally, stack. have you know, it right sees here. All we see is the Millennium Falcon. While you would think you're pointing at your books,
0: just so you know. I have a book coming out that I literally quoted that book out of. So that what is so book, what,
2: what book do you have coming out?
0: Well, it, it's going to be called Church Plantology, and church uh, it Plantology. comes out in March. So no, but I hey, I, I can't push church. my book on the Ed Stetzer.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I think but, it's fine. I'm interested. Plantology. Have I written the forward to it? Uh, not yet. Okay. I just, I, if I did not That's know. happening. Come that on. Okay. All right. I'll go. be in touch. All right. Have your My people call, call your people.
0: We'll do lunch, babe. All hey, real quick,
2: we have like
0: one or two minutes left. Yeah, and um, I want to really ask uh, the title of this uh, webinar. Sorry, I got a train that comes by. It's like Mr. Rogers, where you're leaving make believe land. It tells you it's the end of the show. So I can just hear it. Off.
2: So is it, the Millennium Falcon has trains coming by. The mix the mix measure here, just so you know, we actually have the same problem. We're, we have a train. Daniel knows. Daniel and I are two offices away from each other right See? now. This is the closest we've been because Daniel is a carrier for COVID. I think everyone's a carrier <laughs> for COVID. So, um, except our colleague, Josh Laxton, who's in the office over there who had COVID. So Daniel would get a kick out of this. Yes, the last day I was in the office, I shook his hand and I hugged him. He's the only wow. person I can shake hands and hug because he – as the immunity passport, but anyway, sorry. That's rad. Hey, before we end, um, let me say something
0: real quick. Those of you that are watching, um, you're already signed up into our online community. Uh, Multiplication.org is where you're at. And we've got a hundred round tables in a hundred different cities. And I wanna encourage you to sign up for that um, until tomorrow, all right, Like, like last day, last chance. Special price, $29. You're going to get an incredible resource kit that's going to have 30 authors speaking on diversity issues. You're going to be able to choose from one of 100 cities, the one closest to you, obviously, to attend this at, And we're going to double down into the diversity conversations going on from a biblical perspective with some of the best minds in the country on how the gospel impacts us. So make sure you head into that. But anyways, before we get into that, um, just a few final thoughts from Ed here. Ed, we are talking about how to go forwards and not backwards. If you had just a few bullet points quickly at the end to sum up, what what are some clear ways that people are going backwards during this time that you don't recommend? And what are a few bullet points of, Hey, this is what you need to do
2: to go forward right now today. Yeah, I would say backwards has to be to respond in fear, and I think that um, ultimately I'm not asking the question: Will the church die? Um, there was there was a uh, um, a friend of mine quoted Alan Hirsch, and Alan Alan texted me and said, "I didn't say that." Uh, But it kind of got around that Alan's saying the the age of the big church is over. This is going to be so-and-so. And And maybe even to the place where, you know, Andy Crouch's words have maybe been interpreted that way by people. Um, And what I would say is, again, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Don't go backwards in thinking that your church whatever size, doesn't have a future. Uh, it just has a tumultuous year or two, if, if maybe not even two, maybe another year of tumult. Um, so don't go backwards in fear. Uh, this, I would go in forward. rather than doing the bullet points, let me just contrast. So backwards, don't go backwards in fear. Go forward in faith and take the time to ask how do we push to the periphery of church life, uh, how do we empower god 's people at a greater level? how do we live out first Peter four ten as each one has received a special gift use it to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God so I'm not back in fear forward into the uh, pushing to the periphery going to be a key thing second don 't go back into right now there are people in your church who want you to um, kind of push back on some of the things in culture where people are having better conversations about race. And, and you mentioned the exponential roundtables. I'm, I, I do the presentation on finding biblical unity that some that the groups will discuss. Um, so don't go backwards. I mean, after the George Floyd's killing a lot of evangelicals started reading new books, engaging in new conversations. Don't go backwards on that. Continue to go forward but do so in ways that are biblically driven and biblically discerning. It probably is an issue that you didn't think you'd have to necessarily learn. Do, do I believe in systemic injustice and why? I think if you'll do research and talk to people of color, you'll come in by saying yes, and then you'll say, so what do we do about it? And you'll see some solutions that are kind of outside of what I would see as a biblical framework and some solutions that are. So it's not just that you're going to go forward in the conversation about race, But there are people going to try to pull you into a place where it takes us outside of, I think, biblical convictions. So you're going to have to learn and go forward and learn things uh, that we didn't necessarily go before. And don't, you know, when people are throwing around, that's critical race theory, ask them, what do you mean? Which a lot of times they just, that's all they know is that that's bad. And that's the three words that they might know. But some people know more. And if they mean systemic injustice, then you could say, well, that's not the same thing. And so you're going forward on that. So don't go back and revert. Don't hide out in the basement waiting for this conflicted time to end, but go forward in faith. Finally, um, don't go backwards because now the church evangelism has been disempowered and dethroned as the primary form of evangelism. We need to go forward and we need to find new ways to show and share the love of Jesus. Let me give you an example. One of the things that uh, I'm going to be doing at uh, Calvary, is I'm going to be asking uh, for times of evangelism over Facebook. So we're going to actually all click Facebook Live at the same time, and we're going to flood Facebook in New York City with uh, people sharing their testimonies. We're going to do it again around Christmas, inviting people to these things. So, you know, online's the new Mars Hill. So let's church evangelism dethroned. Let's replace it with personal engagement with neighbors and with online evangelism as the new Mars Hill. So those are three backwards and forwards I'd contrast.
0: I love it. Well, our guest needs no introduction. It's been Ed Stetzer, who I call the godfather of church planning. Um, He's he's the Don. You need to go talk to him. Listen to him. He'll give you advice you can't refuse on church planning. And uh, one day he may call on you for a favor. Uh, which we definitely owe him after coming on here today. Um, you can check in with Ed at Ed Stetzer, his uh, online website. You can um, definitely pick up his books. or are a gold mine. Um, planting Missional Churches is dynamite. It is a hardcore church planting crash course. Um, definitely check that out. And uh, I'm on page 87. I'm just saying. No, I made that. I don't know what page I'm on, but I am in there. So, uh, but anyways, it's been great having you on. Daniel, thanks for uh, pulling your strings to get him on here as well. Did we get Uh, him in trouble,
2: Ed? You did. It was good. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yes.
0: All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Be sure to head over to multiplication.org and sign up for the roundtables. And we'll see you next week. This fall, Exponential is hosting roundtable events in cities all across America. These half-day gatherings in smaller settings will allow church leaders to prioritize peer-to-peer conversations and receive practical training on how to prepare their church to lead for racial reconciliation. Exponential roundtables will help you continue to pursue church multiplication in these challenging times. Find a roundtable near you this fall by visiting multiplication.org.